Well, we're coming back to uh, Mark chapter 4 today, and we're going to see Jesus communicating truth in parables. Uh, Last week, just quick review, we said that uh, Mark really isn't about Jesus' teaching, it's about Jesus' doing. But in Mark chapter 4 is really probably the main place where we see some of his teaching take place. We noted last week that parables are stories that literally means to be thrown alongside, where Jesus would take a story and he would throw it alongside truth to more clearly illustrate it. So Jesus in this chapter 4 tells four or five parables and they all focus on the kingdom of God. And he uses these stories to take uh, an, an earthly truth and tie it to a heavenly truth or insight so people could more clearly understand it. Jesus knows everybody loves this story. And so he was a consummate storyteller and throughout the gospels he uses this medium to give insight and understanding to his truth. We come here today and Jesus is calling people to understand who they are. And he's giving them identity as part of the kingdom. That they would choose him as they choose him and as they decide to follow him and to live and to be a part of the kingdom. He says, I'm I'm giving you a new identity. See, in secular society, you're defined by what? So often we're defined by our appearance, by our skill set, by our jobs, by our performance. And whatever we can accomplish ultimately begins to define your identity. I'm a pastor. So that begins to identify me in a lot of different ways. Some positive, some negative. The, The problem with that is that's not really who I am. That's what I do. And it's really important to understand that because in Christianity, while uh, a lot of religions and a lot of secular society says you are defined by what you do, Christianity says, no, you're defined by who you are. And because of who you are, that will begin to dictate what you do. And that's so important that we don't get that backwards because Christianity is the opposite. It's through the grace of God, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, his resurrection to new life. It's out of that that we receive our identity and our identity begins to flow, our actions and our behaviors. We don't do things, loved ones, so that God will love us more. We don't do things to earn our way for God. God loves you no more today than he did yesterday, last year, last month. As a matter of fact, when every one of us was in darkness, when every one of us was as low as we could be, God loved us then as he does now. It is simply that we do things out of that identity of who God is and what he's done for us, and we respond on the basis of that. If we don't, we'll get into this treadmill, this thing called legalism, where we'll do things and try and work harder to procure this this love from God or this relationship or blessing from God, and there's nothing further from the truth because we cannot improve our standing with God once we have entered into a relationship with him. So right now, up front, I'm going to tell you there's some questions on your program or in your notes And I'm going to give you, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a little face-to-face roundtable time. So just quickly, uh, you can just pick one of those questions, and as I'm talking, maybe it will apply uh, to you. But we're going to give opportunity for you to talk today. 
Uh, we haven't done that for a long time. And I said, you know something, I really, we need to get kind of back to that every once in a while, at least once or twice a month, because part of what we want our, to do here is for our Christianity to be worked out within where we are. And it isn't just about a lecture or a talk, but it's about what are you learning? What are you going to do? What's going to be your action step based on what you heard? Because as we saw last week, Jesus always calls to action. When you hear the word, do the word. When you hear the word, live the word. So we're just going to spend a few minutes talking around our table today. And if you're new here or uh, recently new here and you've never done this, you don't have to say anything. You can just sit and listen. Uh, no one's going to look at you and go, oh, hey, by the way, Bob, could you just share? You know, that's uh, not going to happen. So nobody's has to share, but there'll probably be some people around your table that will. So you'll see the questions there. So maybe just quickly kind of think about those so that as I'm talking, you'll be able to uh, be thinking about something that you might want to share that God speaks to you today. So let's pick it up. Mark chapter four, beginning at verse 21. He's just told the parable of the soil uh, of the soils. And we talked about that last week. So verse 21, now he says, well, Jesus continued to say to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? I mean, isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed and nothing hidden except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. And then he says to them, now pay attention to what you hear, for by the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Now, first thing I want you to see here is Jesus is really saying, show well. Show what you know, show well. Do it well. Again, he uses this very familiar example for that day where he's talking about these lights, these candles. Remember that day, they didn't have electricity, no P-E-G-N-E uh, in Jerusalem or Galilee or Judea or any of those regions. So what did they do? They had these candles. And Jesus is just saying to them, listen, at night when it's dark, when you put this candle out, you don't hide it under the bed. You don't put a bowl over it. You don't hide that light. You don't conceal that light. You want to bring it out. And he says, you want to put it on a lampstand so everybody can use it and it can be seen and it will begin to dispel the dark. Now, just kind of a, a parenthetically, sometimes you've heard this passage preached like, oh boy, you better be good. You better take care of everything you say and do because you know what? God's going to expose it. You know, it's kind of like, it's, it's going to be there somehow, some way. God's going to expose it. Everybody's going to see it. You know, you kind of live in fear. That, that's not what this is about. This is about, this is still in the context of the gospel of truth. And he says, Jesus wants it out there. He doesn't want it concealed. He wants it exposed. You can see, loved ones, we live in a world that's filled with darkness and sin and death and decay. It's filled with a world where people are not seeking after God. But the scriptures are clear. Jesus said, I come as the light of the world. And, and not only to simply expose sin, but to bring his light to dispel the darkness that we live in. When you say yes to Jesus, he says this, behold, you are a new creation. All things begin to pass away because they're becoming new. Understand that that's your identity. You're being identified now as a new creature that has a new beginning. You are being formed by this relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Remember what Matthew 5, uh, 14 and 16 says? Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand to give light to everyone in the house. See, Jesus is using this familiar language. And he's really talking because when he's talking on the Sermon on the Mount, it has to do with the kingdom of God, the precepts and the principles for living out uh, as, an, as a person in the kingdom of God. And he's going on and he's continually uh, continuing to say this in Mark chapter 4. And he says, this is part of your identity too. You're not only a new creature. You're not only becoming a new creation in me, but you are a light. And part of your function is the very function that I come to do is to bring light to a dark world, to expose and to illuminate. Why? Because Jesus dies for our sin. He raises us up into salvation. And then he says this in John chapter one, verse nine. Jesus says very clearly, that he is the light that lights every man. So everyone in you in this room, can I just tell you something? Everybody in this room, whether you have made a decision for Jesus or not, has received a shaft of the light of this world. When we stand before Jesus, there will never be anybody, and this is a whole other talk, but there will never be anybody that cannot say that they received some shaft of the light of Jesus Christ. So the whole picture here is the whole world, our whole world, we know this, is filled with darkness, but the grace of God came through the person of Jesus Christ. And what does he say to do? He says, I want you to humbly, I want you to take and carry your light into the world. Take it to school. Take it to work tomorrow, wherever it is you happen to be. Literally, you're an ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5 says. Literally, you and I are missionaries to our world into this dark place to bring the light of Christ, to bring the light of the gospel, the good news, so that we can illuminate the light of Jesus Christ. So here's the question, how are you doing? How are you doing as a Christ follower? Jesus is exhorting them and us today not to hide our light because it really is easy to conceal and to hide it, isn't it? I think there's probably different kinds of light that we as Christ followers experience. There's the flash cube Christ follower. How many of you remember the flash cube? Probably about a third in this room have gone, a flash what? There used to be these things called cameras where they had these little square... You know, these little square lights on them and they, on, on the top. And each time you'd click, all of a sudden, just as soon as you clicked it, there would be this flash of light, big flash, and it would just blind everybody. Well, there's a lot of Christ followers that are kind of that kind of a light as well. They blind everyone. Some Christians do that, don't they? They're just kind of in your face and they're kind of offensive with the way that they come off with the way they talk, and they ultimately do more harm than good. Or there's others that are maybe, maybe they're not so offensive, but they kind of rise up, and all of a sudden, man, they're active, and they're doing everything, and they make this big flash, and then all of a sudden, they're burnt out, and they're gone, literally a, a flash in the pan. You know people like that. Or how about this, a watch like Christ follower? Some of us have watches. I have a couple of watches, the ones usually that I run with. They, um, 
they have a little light on them. If you push a button, what does it do? It shows the time and everything, the information on your light face. But all it does is give you just a little bit of illumination so that you can see the face of your watch. It's just enough to draw attention to itself. And aren't there really a lot of Christians like that, that really the whole focus of their faith and their existence before God is they just kind of draw attention to themselves. Jesus said this about really religious people of his day. In Matthew 23, 5 through 7, he said, everything they do is for show. They enjoy the attention that they get in the street. Some are like this, aren't they? You ever been around a Christ follower that every time you bring up something, maybe about your wife you're sharing, they've always got something bigger and better? Oh, man, my kid does this. Oh, 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 yeah, see, my kid, you know. Or I got this new thing. Oh, I got this new, you know. And, or or they're, they're always talking about what they're doing for God, not necessarily what God's doing in and for them, through them. They love the attention. See, the key really is to have this attitude like John the Baptist, where the focus isn't on you. The key is to put your focus on Jesus the light. John said it this way. John the Baptist said it this way. He says, I'm not, man, I'm not the light. I'm simply a lamp. And everything that he did pointed to Jesus. And he said this, he must increase and I must decrease. Or maybe you're kind of a flashlight Christ follower. Uh, these lights, you know, a flashlight, it can be turned off, it can be turned on as needed. I see a lot of people live this way. Man, when things are going good in their life, the light's on and, oh, the radiance is great and they're loving God and following Jesus and just everything is, whoa, praise God, hallelujah, and man, just whatever. But man, they get a little bit of problem. They get a little bit of difficulty. Something sideswipes them and all of a sudden, man, the light goes off. And now where's God? They blame God for everything. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's no sense of of settledness in God. It's not a great testimony for people to see. I mean, we talk about a fair-weather Christ follower. Or or, or there's other flashlight Christians that do this. They turn their light on, and it doesn't just radiate when things are going good, but it's really easy for them to begin to radiate uh, and, and kind of flash a light on other people. You ever seen those? Oh, yeah, look at Kendra over there. She's all tatted up. <laughs> Just kidding, girl. I love your tattoos. Matter of fact, I got one too. But that's neither here nor there. But you know how people can do that? You can begin to flash your light on everybody else's sins and issues and shortcomings and difficulties. And pretty soon you forget to allow the light of God to shine on yours and to change you. See, we live in a culture today, don't we? that really wants to hide, to cover, to press down. And we get pressure from darkness to hide our light. And Jesus is saying here, you got friends, you got coworkers, you got followers, you got family members, you got people all around you. What is your light doing? Is it really the light of Jesus or is it one of these other kind of lights that really almost causes more harm than good? That it blinds people instead of illuminates that it focuses on you instead of Jesus. That they look at your faith and they look at how you talk and how you live and they go, really, no thank you. Don't want any part of that. 
See, we live in this culture, and the challenge is this. Daily, will you conceal, hide, or will you live in the light and show the light with an openness and an honesty and authenticity and live according to your convictions in a loving and gracious way that points the light to Jesus? Jeff Pascoe told me a story recently. He was in the hospital for a procedure, and, and he had this older, older guy next to him, and he thought, man, he's probably, he's possible he'll pass away, and he felt like the Lord speaking to him and prompting him to share his faith and just to kind of lovingly say, listen, are you ready to meet Jesus? And so, kind of was working up the courage. You, you know how that is, don't you? And, and he said, so one night he, he went out and he was kind of walking around the halls doing his little exercise. And he said, okay, when I come back, if this guy's awake, that's when I'm going to talk to him. Have you ever kind of made those kind of bargains with God? You know, and so he was walking around, he comes back in and he kind of snuck in. And he's, he's got his little, you know, his little, I don't know what they call them, but they, you know, those things you walk with, with your meds on them. And, and he's walking, pardon me? Very good. See how simple. IV pole. He's got his IV pole with him. He kind of peeks in and he goes, oh, the guy's sleeping good. <laughs> Reprieve. And as he's walking in, he's kind of, you know, with his IV pole and boom, hits a chair. Guy wakes up. <laughs> and so he was just sharing with us how, you know, how God kind of worked in that moment to say, now you're going to get to share Jesus with him. I just love that because I have to tell you, too many times that's happened to me where I've kind of put God to the test and instead of just boldly and lovingly and courageously shared who he is, I kind of force his hand. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the question, loved ones, how's it going? You're a light. He doesn't say you'll become a light. He says you are the light of the world. Don't hide it. Now hear me, to be clear, I said this earlier, you're not saved by what you do, but only by what Jesus does. So some people go, oh good, well I don't have to do anything. See, you don't do anything to become a Christian, but you do everything because you have become one. And you have this relationship with this loving God who gave everything to you. So we don't want to conceal. We want to reveal him. And because we live for Jesus, loved ones, our sex life is different. Because we meet Jesus, our financial life is different. Because we meet Jesus, our friendships are different. Everything in our life becomes different because it's exposed to the light. So how are you doing? Well, Jesus goes on and And he says, pay attention to what you hear because by the measure you use, it'll be measured and added to you for the one who has. It'll be given from the one that does not have. Even what he has will be taken away. Here Jesus is talking about hearing. It's really kind of a continuation even of of, of the first parable. See, Jesus' focus here isn't as much on what you hear, but how you hear. It's the way that you hear. We don't like this idea that Jesus espouses right here, which is simply this, the rich get richer. Those with more get more. We we decry that in the United States for many. But you see here, a person's getting will in every case be determined by his giving. 
how he responds to what he hears and knows. See, that's why the, all of these parables kind of begin to tie together because Jesus gives some of the responsibility back to us. How do you hear? Why is Joe or Sally such a good Christ follower? How come they get all the goodies and all the blessings? Well, it's not just because of this, but part of it is they begin to live the life. They begin to hear and do. And while that's not the basis for all blessing, there is a part of it that you can't get around in the scriptures. And Jesus is talking about this dynamic for living in my kingdom. And he says, those who give will have. I mean, it's totally inverted. You can't read the scriptures, loved ones, without beginning to understand that. It's an inverted, upside-down, wrong-side-out kingdom from our perspective. He says, if you want to be full, do what? Empty yourself. If you want to gain your life, lose your life. Givers will have more than hoarders, grabbers, and keepers. How does that work? I don't know, but I see it all the time. The more thankful a person is, the more I see them get. The less thankful they are, the less I see them get. It's amazing. The way to power influence is to become small, not to seek it. The way to get raised up is to be small. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be the servant of all. How do you come? Let's get really practical. How do you come to worship each week? Do you come to get and receive as your primary focus? If that's your focus every week, you know what will happen? You'll soon become critical of the room, the tables, the music, the preacher, the people. If you see this as a place to kind of get your spiritual jollies met or an enmert- a place of entertainment for you instead of a place to come and to serve and to encourage others, very quickly, loved ones, you'll really begin to get critical of what is taking place or what isn't taking place. Who is here? What they're doing. See, it's easy for people to gain this mindset of coming to simply get and to receive instead of an attitude of what can I hear and grow and apply. What's your focus? Do you come with an expectation? I believe that, I believe that church uh, is, it really becomes for many people a real habit, and I think it's a good habit. Uh, probably 15 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. But if it only becomes a habit that you do out of rote, You'll forget that the reason for coming here is to meet Jesus and to allow Jesus to speak to you in this kind of a setting so that not only can maybe you can use that even today, but you can take it tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and use it in your family, in your work. So many people just come and they just want to get and get and get. But Jesus is saying here, whatever truth you get, you need to give it out. See, knowledge, hear, hear me, loved ones, knowledge is important for growth, but the greatest 
Growth comes when truth comes to you and it begins to flow out and you make room for more. See, so many Christians today, just give me another Bible study. Just give me another preacher. Give me another word. Give me another something. Give me another gathering. And they forget the law of the sponge. See, the law of the sponge is, and this is really what Jesus is saying, if you want more to come in, if you want to grow, then you've got to give out. You've got to be wrung out. The Christianity has become just this knowledge thing where, boy, give me the latest word. Give me the latest teaching. Most of us in this room, if you've been a Christian for more than probably five years, you have way more knowledge than you do experiencing and living it out. And Jesus says, if you want more, the best way to get it isn't sitting through another lesson, but it's to go out and give it out. Share with somebody what you're learning. Do what you're learning. And then you'll begin to see increase. We have small group opportunities. Um, Some of you really could be leading a small group, but you're intimidated because you think you've got to have all the answers in case somebody asks you something. Can I tell you something? That's not true. I probably at least, I don't know, once a month tell somebody, gee, I don't know. I'll have to go figure that one out and find out and do some study on it. And the reason some of us haven't grown in our knowledge is because we haven't stretched ourselves, And we'd rather have somebody else do it for us instead of saying, God, I've heard enough. i got to get out there and do it. See, I think it was Augustine, one of the church fathers said it this way. He said, church is not a rest home for saints, but a hospital for sinners. How do you know when you're healed? It's not when you stay in the emergency room. It's not when you stay in triage. It's not when you live at the hospital. It's when you get up and you walk out and you carry on and function in a healthy way. That's really when healing comes. And see, our church is meant to be not a country club. It's not meant to be um, this place for a rest home for saints where we can all just kind of come and get our feelings good and everything. But it's really a place where sinners can come and get healed. And every one of us is a sinner that needs continual healing. But at some point, we've got to step up and step out and be givers, not simply receivers. See here the law of increase. Jesus says that if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with more. What does he say? Really, he's saying this. As you give out what I've already given you, guess what? I'm going to give you more. He's saying, you know what? Don't don't be a lake. Be a stream. Don't allow moss to kind of build up on your life. Be this, this, this stream of fresh flowing living water so that as I speak to you, do in you, you can give it out to the people around you. It's really important, loved ones. Then the last one is this. Know well the process of spiritual growth. I I probably should have saved this for a full talk, but I'm just going to quickly hit it. It says, for the kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. 
He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows, and he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. He says, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil, it is smaller than any seeds of the ground. And when sown, it, becomes, it grows and it becomes taller than all the other vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. In the parable of the sower, Jesus emphasizes the place of the ear. Remember we talked about that? We talked about having a heart that is soft, fertile soil that can receive God's word and plant it. Now, if the truth just simply stopped there, it would almost seem like it's all about us, right? That everything kind of is about us and what we do and how we respond. But again, remember I said the Bible holds truth in dynamic tension. And the problem where theologians can get into trouble is if they lean too far into, in, in, in one way. And not understand that there's a dynamic truth over here that is probably exerting and pulling equal pressure on it. That's why Jesus in, his, in, in these parables here, he, he comes back to this one. It was Pelagius who was a British monk in the 4th century. His, his mantra was basically this, if I ought, I can. See, Pelagius had a heresy that basically believed this, that the goodness of man and the ability to be saved was based on two things. Number one, his personal decision to make a decision for Christ, and then his ability to do good works, aside from what Jesus has done. It's not all about what we can do, loved ones. It's all about what God has done. See, the Bible is full of truth held in this tension. There is the response of the sower. There is the response that every one of us has to have toward Jesus and how that seed falls in our heart. But we can never forget that the spiritual process is ultimately all up to God as well. There's this thing called provenient grace. It's divine favor that goes before a man's response. Listen, hear me. This, this is theological, and I really am committed to this belief. Nobody in this room, nobody in this world makes a decision for Jesus if, if it isn't starting with the Holy Spirit and the prevenient grace that begins to move upon your heart that says, I need God. Everything starts with the Spirit of God. And that Pelagius had this idea that everything started or really was based on man's response. But Jesus tells this story and he says, as a farmer sows seed, he doesn't understand exactly how the, the seed grows. But one day, what does he do? He plants it and then he opens this door and he goes out there and he says, whoa, I got this crop. How many of you remember having growing pains growing up? Remember that? Again, you don't know where they come from. You don't know how you got them. You just be in the middle of the night. I remember waking up in the middle of the night. Oh, my leg, ah, I got these big cramps or whatever. And Dad, what is that? Oh, it's a growing pain. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. But you know what part of the process was? Uh, it wasn't just the growing pain. The reason I was growing isn't just because of the pains to prove it, but because I was also eating and resting and exercising. I had a part in that. You have a part in your growth, loved ones. And like the seed that's sown by the farmer, isn't it interesting 
that as you put out, you receive. Isn't it interesting how studying the scriptures, he's talking about he's thrown this seed and this kingdom is growing. I love this how we come here every week and we study the scriptures. And what does that do? It kind of causes the kingdom to be established within us and among us. And what happens? People, you got friends, don't you, that they're out there and they're going, what the heck, are you kidding me? What do you do that for? They don't understand it. They think we're crazy. That we would come here and take a chapter or a page out of this antiquated book of 2,000 years and we'd study it. Yet when we study it corporately, we have our, our devotionals time personally, something of the miraculous happens inwardly. And we begin to change. We get transformed. I remember Joel. I tell this story a lot at funerals because it's so true. When he was a little guy, he was in kindergarten. And we, uh, uh, I had to do this little project with him. And uh, we had to put a seed in this little styrofoam cup of dirt. And we'd have to water it and watch it and write on a piece of paper and monitor it and all this kind of stuff. And he had this little friend, Robbie, down the street. And after, I don't know, it was a week, two weeks, whatever. But he come down and he one day we were out in the back on the patio. And it's on the picnic table there. And this little punk kid just just knocks it off the table and dirt goes flying and his cup goes flying and Joel was five years old and so he was this chubby little sweet cherub-faced kid and he's crying all over the place and I went over and beat this little kid up because (laughs) I just said, you don't do that to my little boy. And uh, not really, I just sent him home and and, uh, took care of Joel and we started sweeping it up. You know what we found? We'd been watching it all this time. But... He thought we couldn't find it. We were, were sweeping up all the dirt and finally, guess what I saw? I saw this little seed with a little sprout coming out. I said, look at son. We're going to write about this. And he was so excited because he never saw anything coming up before because it was still underground. What I want you to see, loved ones, that's how your life is. That's how, the, that's how God's word works in you. That's how it works in us. That's how it works in this church. And, and this whole mustard seed thing is Jesus is saying this little group of 12 and, and Jesus, they started this thing called the church and it's the kingdom of God and it's going to get bigger and larger. Oh, we may think it's small, but isn't it interesting after 2,000 years, it's still going, it's still growing until Jesus comes. It's the same with your life. Invest in it. God's kingdom will grow. Hear me. Our call isn't to build the kingdom of God. It's to enter into it every day with a decision. Jesus, speak to me. I want to be here.